Good morning. Welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an off-site campus. Wherever you may be, we are glad that you are with us today. You know, as you came in today on every other seat across all of our campuses, there was an annual report. I want to encourage you to take this thing home. It's got stories representing every campus, uh, just work that God is doing in addition to some amazing metrics, first-time guests, salvations, baptisms, just the work that God has done through your faithfulness and generosity and giving. And so take this home, leave it on the coffee table, take some time to read through those stories, and take pride in knowing that you have been a part of all that God is doing here at Seacoast. Hey, we have a guest speaker this weekend, which I'm really excited about. You might remember a little over a year ago, we did a series called Live Like No One Else. We had Dave Ramsey come in. We kicked off a bunch of Financial Peace University classes. And for those of you that might be new that weren't a part of it, or those of you who, uh, who were a part of it, you might remember as a church individually, each of you paid off $11 million in personal debt and at the same time saved $5 million within your personal finances collectively as a church, representing a $16 million swing. Isn't that incredible? Listen, people, you live differently. There is joy in the air when you experience that kind of financial freedom over a couple month period. It was amazing at what God did. Well, Chris Brown, who works on Dave Ramsey's team, is the one that trained up a lot of our staff and got us prepared to uh, lead those groups. It was an exciting thing. We actually had a mix-up in inviting him to come and, and speak this weekend. We sent an email, and the first email went to this guy. It was Chris Brown, the rapper. And so it it made for some awkward dialogue. We had to say we're sorry. We meant for it to go to this guy. And so we've got the right one. There he is. Doesn't he? Just a handsome dude. And so got the right one. He's here with us this weekend. Seacoast here in Mount Pleasant across all of our campuses. Would you join me in giving Chris Brown a hand as he comes? Thank you, sir. <laughs> How you doing, Seacoast? All right, very cool stuff. Yes, I, uh, I'm very well aware. I am let down Chris Brown. Like, I, I'm very well aware. There's gonna be no dancing, no singing, no rapping this weekend. I'm sorry. That's for your benefit, I promise. It is ugly. It really is. But I, I'm much nicer to Rihanna, so there you go. 
<laughs> some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. You might have to Google it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't Google it. Anyway. But anyway, hopefully I can be a little bit more benefit to what we're talking about today. Um, you guys got to, let me just say this. You guys don't know what it's like to be let down, Chris Brown. You just don't know. Everywhere I go, even checking into the hotel here. I check into the hotel and this lady behind the counter, she's got all these little check-ins that are all ready. One is pulled off to the side and has a star next to it. I walk up to the check-in desk and I said, hey, I'm here to check in. She goes, oh, yes, of course, what's your name? I said, Chris Brown. She goes, oh, just like that. That's the world I live in. Like, I literally, I go to rent a car, it's, oh, right? My wife, no, I'm just kidding. But people, it's just like, I let down Chris Brown. So anyway, uh, I, I'm gonna help us out hopefully this weekend as let down Chris Brown. Let me give you an idea of let down Chris Brown's life. Um, I do have a wife and three kids. Uh, I'm actually visiting this weekend. Uh, from Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Ironic, huh? That is right between Franklin, it's right, uh, right by Mount Pleasant and Columbia, which is wild. But anyway, Tennessee, not, not, not South Carolina. But those are my, that's my family. It's my wife of 17 years. Her name is Holly. She's my Holly spirit. That's uh, my cheesy Christian joke for the day. Uh, three little chitlins. They're 13, 11, and nine. And uh, my two boys there, they look innocent there, but I can assure you they are not. Um, I didn't know this, but I prophetically named my kids, my boys at least, Max and Jack. And I can assure you my life has been maxed out and jacked up ever since they've been born. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I don't have any favorites, but that little girl right there is pretty much perfect. Um, and I, I do happen to have an extra picture of Annie. This is her being baptized uh, just last year by her mom. So that's a little bit of a glimpse into our family. Yeah, isn't that cool? Pretty cool stuff. That gives you kind of an idea of the lens I'm looking through as we kind of talk about the subject matter this week and we talk about worship in this series, So Will I. I, I do have one more family member, though, I didn't talk about. I went 38 years in my life with no pets. Can you believe that? Isn't that sad? <laughs> but not last Christmas, but the Christmas before, we brought home a brand new, beautiful little golden doodle. A little white golden doodle. So cute, so innocent. Uh, so unenergetic, it was just like just sitting there, and it was so pretty. Well, anyway, a year went by, and then the next Christmas came, and we took this glamour shot of him, and last Christmas, that little thing grew up to uh, 60 or 70 pounds, and, uh, you know, we thought that we were taking care of him well. It's our first pet ever. We didn't know what we were doing, and we were brushing him and feeding him, and we were brushing his outer coat, apparently, and we didn't know about an undercoat when it comes to golden doodles. So we went to his first grooming appointment and the groomer called us and said, hey, just want you to know you've been doing a great job on the outer coat. But there's this thing called the undercoat and it is all knotted up and so we've gotta shave this dog completely. <laughs> and I just wanted to warn you when he comes home, he's a little unpleasant to look at. <laughs> And I just wanna also tell you that you probably need to feed him more. And I'm like, well, he's a happy dog. No. Anyway, he came home and he looked like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding, that's not my dog. <laughs> Some of you are like, call a dog rescue. This guy, this guy, right? <laughs> that's not my dog, I promise. But he was hard to look at when he came home. He looked like this. And uh, just a little bit pathetic, you know? I'm like, that's my dog, and I felt like 
you're not quite as cute anymore. Um, but anyway, so we're feeding them a little bit more, and now we're, we know how to take care of a dog. So anyway, that's our learning over the last year. I just want to share that with you. Um, anyway, so we're in week two of So Will I. And what a beautiful song that was introduced last week. Uh, hopefully some of you have downloaded that and stuff because it is unbelievable. I know Pastor Josh sent it to me via text that you've got to see this YouTube video. And I literally, it wrecked me just like it did Pastor Josh. And uh, I know last week I tuned in online. I'd like to welcome those of you that are watching online. But uh, you know, so all week I've been practicing like holding the TV and I've been practicing all the different worship moves and the, what is it, the fish was this big, right? All those different moves. I know all of you were here last week because you never miss a weekend. But, um, but anyway, so we're in week two and this week, my, the title of my sermon, those of you that are taking notes at all locations, is uh, my top 10 political opinions of 2017. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be awkward? Right? That would be horrible. Anyway, here's the real sermon title. We worship the loudest through our stewardship. We worship the loudest. We shout our worship to God the loudest through the megaphone of stewardship. Chris, what is stewardship? What I'd like to suggest to you is that we don't just worship 18 minutes a week, we worship all week. We worship with the air that we breathe, the way that we handle our relationships, the way that we handle our time and our energy and our sphere of influence, the way that we manage that relationship with our roommate all week long, stewardship. And some of you might be at church for the very first time, you've never been at church, or you've been at, the, at church maybe for a few weeks and you're like, stewardship, that is such a non-relevant term. That's such an old churchy word. Who uses that word? Well, even if the word is old, the concept is our calling on this planet. And so there's lots of stewards. The word stewardship, people think a lot of different things. It's a very confused word. Some people think it means recycling. Some people think it means saving the rainforest. Some people think stewardship is building a building campaign. But that's, that's a confused word. If you're taking notes today at any location, Here's the definition of stewardship, what it is. That's the things that it's not. What is it? It is managing God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. That tells you what? All of God's blessings, not just money, but everything is God's. God's blessings. The how, that's God's way by the scripture. And the why, not for our own glory, but for God's glory. That's the definition, stewardship. Where does it come from? Well, it's, it's passages like Psalm 24, 1 that tells us and reminds us, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Another translation of that verse, it says, and all it contains. Do you know if you look up the original language for the word, the, for the word all, you know what it means? All. Everything is God's. And so we're not the owner. And that's a relief for a lot of folks. It's a lot of weight and pressure that we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be the owner. We hold on to everything like this and we're like, it's all mine. Like, oh my goodness, I, what, what am I gonna do? No, you're not the owner. And then like in a business, there's an owner and then there's a manager. And he says, he says hey, I've got, I'm gonna give you dominion over the, the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, right? So he said, you're gonna be managers. And then 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, those who have been entrusted to be managers must prove faithful. So what does faithful look like? Uh, I'd like to suggest to you 
that the scriptures point us to the fact that the best way, the loudest way, the loudest way that we shout is not in a worship service, even though that brings him tons of glory. Sometimes it's in the quiet moments when we're giving, when we're saving, when we're spending, whether it's $100 or whether it's $10. The way we spend our time and our energy. We look at our week and 80% of it is, is devoted to recreation. That's a problem. The loudest way we worship is through stewardship. Now let me tell you a little bit about what this looks like in my life and maybe you can relate to this. You think back to your life and you realize here's where I was and here's where I am today and there's this but God moment. There's this grace, God's grace came down and here's where I was and here's where I am but God so thankful. I don't know how many of you at any of our locations can remember your 11th birthday. It's not something you think about all the time. I feel like I'm looking at some faces and you're like, oh, where was I? What did I get? What, 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 11th birthday, what, what, right? I can remember my 11-year-old birthday like it was yesterday. We all have those a little bit of, we have memories that stick out in our mind. For me, it's my 11-year-old birthday. I was sitting down on the floor in a dark, empty roach-infested apartment. And I was sitting there in absolute silence. 11-year-old boy, scared and confused. No food, no furniture. Ocean Villas Apartments on the corner of Edwards and Warner in the wrong side of Huntington Beach, California. I'm looking out the window and I'm wishing that my birthday looked much differently. I'm wishing for bounce houses, Friends over, laughter, possibly a couple presents, maybe some ice cream cake. But instead, this 11-year-old boy was replaying the last several years of his life. And he knew that multiple father figures going to jail wasn't part of the family dream. I didn't have life figured out. I didn't know anything about the word stewardship. But I knew as an 11-year-old boy that going from abuse shelter to abuse shelter and, and sleeping in the back seat of a 1979 Dodge Diplomat in between evictions and going to 17 different schools, that that wasn't normal. I didn't know who was at fault, but I knew something was jacked up. Whenever we got evicted and, and things weren't working out or maybe the car's not there and we, we don't have any kind of place to stay. We'd jump over this little five-foot wall and we would sleep under the bridge there at the corner of Edwards and Warner. For two weeks at a time, three weeks at a time, I'd use my backpack as a pillow and that's all I had was the same outfit and a backpack as my pillow. Two years ago, I spoke at an event called Catalyst in Southern California and when I went, I stayed an extra day. It was 27 years later and I said, you know, I'm gonna go back to that spot those sleepless nights where I was worried that we were gonna be abducted or we were gonna get beat up or we were gonna get mugged. I'm gonna go back to that spot and kind of relive those times of my childhood. And I did. I went back and jumped that five-foot wall and actually took a picture. I wanna share it with you. This right here is the actual place where I slept for weeks at a time. It looks exactly the same. Actually, that cardboard off to the right-hand side, behind that is a whole village of people that are living there now. Uh, when I took back the step back there, there's a guy, there's a bicycle handle sticking out. You can kind of see it. There was a guy on that bike facing me, and that's about as far as I walked. <laughs> and then I got right back over the wall. 
So I took the picture real fast. But man, that, that's exactly where I slept. So I'm sitting there as an 11-year-old boy in the apartment thinking, this is messed up. And I can remember turning my attention from looking out the window to looking into the kitchen. Nothing in the kitchen. There's no, ca there's no can openers. There's no coffee makers, no canned goods, no paper products, no dishes, nothing except for my hero, my mom, a hardworking single mom trying to make ends meet, is just sitting there in absolute silence. And as an 11-year-old boy, I can remember the look on her face. She's staring at the back wall and she has this stoic stare of hopelessness. Silence and a lack of hope. On that day, I can remember sitting there and I can remember having the major realization in my life. I said, I had some resolve. I said, no, this will never happen to me when I'm an adult. I don't know how all that works, but no, the curse ends here. This is messed up. I will never do this to my family. And I went through middle school and I went through high school and I have absolutely no idea how except for by the grace of God. And then I ended up at a Christian college even though I had no clue who Jesus Christ was. Isn't that weird, right? I played baseball for a living. I got a baseball scholarship to this Christian college. I don't know anything about Jesus Christ at all, but for 50 grand, I'll know Jesus Christ all day long, right? <laughs> Little did I know, God's at, God was at work. Three weeks later in chapel, I accepted Christ. My life has never been the same. Met my wife there. We graduated, started our adult life together. We got two great jobs. We're living on way less than we make. And we are saving money like crazy. And we're like, this adult stuff is so easy. Like, what are you guys having such a tough time? We're getting more and more puffed up, more cocky. Of course, we know everything we could ever need to know because we're 22. <laughs> and we said, with all this money that we're saving up, let's do something with it. So we bought a house and sold it three months later and we made 30,000 in extra money. And I'm like, that felt good. I like that. Right? So we said, well, shoot, push, repeat, let's do it again. And we did it again. And we did it again. And we did it again, all with cash, just boom, boom, boom. This is so much fun. Until one day I had the realization, I'm like, huh, why would you want to make 30,000 a year when you could, I mean, 30,000 extra money every three months when you can make 240,000? Why would you want to flip one when you can flip eight at a time? Doesn't that just make sense? So I walked down to a mortgage office, and you're looking at a guy who borrowed a million dollars. The year? <laughs> oh, yeah. 2007. I don't know if you're laughing at me or laughing with me right now. What's happening here? Still a little too soon, y'all. <laughs> the next 36 months, 36 months, every 30 days, you're looking at a guy who wrote $10,000 worth of checks to pay for vacant homes that could not be sold and could not be rented. Every 30 days, 10 grand, 10 grand, 10 grand. Until January of 2011, I walked into a filled courtroom. I had no money at all. I couldn't pay a payment if I wanted to. I looked a trustee in the eye, explained my situation, and because we live in the South, she said, bless your heart. <laughs> Which is code for you are up a creek with no paddle which is code for something we cannot say at church. <laughs> she said, you have to file bankruptcy. In January 2011, you're looking at a guy who filed bankruptcy. That's awfully encouraging. 
who brought this guy in, <laughs> right? Why do I tell you that story? I told, I told myself I will never do this to my family. And here I was, I did the very same thing. My biggest memory of that day was not looking the trustee in the eye. My biggest memory of that day was looking into my own bathroom mirror before I ever went to the courthouse and I had the same exact stoic stare of hopelessness. I said I would never do it to my family. I knew about saving. I knew about budgeting. I knew about investing. I knew about avoiding debt. What went wrong? I, I knew about that. I was doing it all right and I've done it all right since. Not perfect, but the major concepts. What went wrong right there? What, what the, why the inconsistency? Because I forgot my why. I forgot that it's more than math. I forgot that it's more than numbers and nuts and bolts. It's actually worship. I tell you that story for a lot of different reasons. The main reason is I want you to know there's hope today. This is not a, a convicting message. I mean, convicting, yes, but not condemning. I wanna challenge and I wanna encourage, but I don't wanna condemn. The reality is we've all made mistakes and I want you to know that I'm our biggest loser this weekend. All locations, I mean, very few of you have made a million dollar mistake. I'm the biggest loser, right? So I, don't, I want you to know there's hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. I want you to know there's hope. Raise your hand if you've made a mistake with money. All locations, raise your hand, right? Look around, right? You know what that makes you? Over 12. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, you know what that makes you? A liar. <laughs> right, we've all made mistakes, let's so just go ahead and admit it. But what I realized is I wasn't the only one. I looked to the round and I was not the only one going through this. And even today, 76% of America is living paycheck to paycheck regardless of their salary. It's not an income problem, it's an outgo problem. 88% of America is living paycheck to paycheck or worse. That's almost nine out of 10 people that you know. It's not it's spending $1.26 for every $1 that they earn, and this is the number one cause of divorce in America is money fights and money problems. See, this is a major issue. But what, I, but what the problem is is we address the actions. Hey, go save. Uh, make sure you avoid debt. It's the actions. How many of you have repeated yourself over and over again to your kids, right? Who has kids, right? Who's had kids? Who's been a kid? <laughs> right, right, right. We all know we repeat, repeat, like make sure you keep your hands off your brother and sister, make sure you stop fighting, make sure you close the door, make sure you clean your room, right? I mean, this is like group therapy right here. We're like, yeah, so preach it, brother, preach it, right? One of the things I told my kid all the time, and I'm just, her name's nameless, I'm not gonna say names, but he maxes me out quite a bit, but, uh, is brush your teeth. I told my kid to brush his teeth forever. I'm like, man, brush your teeth, doesn't it feel nasty, right? And you know what I realized is I keep addressing the action, 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 but I never backed up and said, hey, I gotta change your belief system. Listen, there are these human beings called females and they're awesome. One day you're gonna love females, hopefully female singular, but man, they're awesome and guess what? They want a guy whose breath don't stink, right? <laughs> They want a guy with more than three teeth in their head, and so you're gonna make sure that you brush your teeth. I went back to the why. I went to the belief system. I didn't just pull the weed, I went and got the roots, right? Didn't address the fruit, I addressed the root. And what happened was, that has now changed actions when I'm looking and when I'm not looking. And the different set of actions has yielded a different set of results. Now he's got this pearly white smile. I'm telling you, he's awesome, right? But the thing is, is I was just addressing the action. So here we are and so will I. And I wanna, I wanna suggest you, encourage you that it's not just math. 
It's not just numbers. It's not just saving. It's not just budgeting. It's not just a cash flow plan. It's not just a 401k. It's worship. Now, the mindset, we're gonna go back to that belief system. I wanna give you four different things that you can write down this week in all locations. There are three incorrect views of money and there's one correct view of money. And these subconsciously get inside of our spirit and it forces us, it, make, it helps us make some really bad decisions when we have the incorrect view and it helps us make some good decisions when we have the correct view. So let's go back to the belief system. The way we view money, one of the incorrect, everyone say incorrect. incorrect. One of the incorrect views of money is pride. Pride, I work so hard for my money, I deserve. One of the most dangerous things in the world you could ever do is walk into a car lot and say, I deserve. Oh my goodness. It leads to some really bad decisions. And let me just say this, I'm actually, I lean this way. Naturally, I lean, I'm a productivity junkie. What can I do, what can I do, what can I do? I love passages like the diligent will prosper. Doesn't it sound like so empowering? Uh, what you reap, what you sow, you will reap, right? I love this one. If you don't work, you don't eat. Like that just sounds so like empowering, like yeah, I'm gonna go work and I'm gonna eat. But the farmer knows that he ain't got jack unless God brings the rain. We work like it all depends on us, but we know that it all depends on God. If you have a pride mindset, it will get you in trouble. It, it, you'll make some really bad decisions. Next thing you know, you'll be wiping your nose with Louis Vuitton Kleenex, right? You'll be buying golf carts like this, right? <laughs> you'll start making decisions that you would never make all because of that spirit of pride. There's no passage in the scriptures that points to this more than this passage. Check this out. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 17 and 18 says, you may say to yourself, my power, my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me. Ha <laughs> ha, I'm the man, I'm the woman. But, I love the big buts of the Bible. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Pride is incorrect. Another incorrect one is poverty. Poverty. That uh, you're more spiritual, the poorer you get, you don't have anything, and rich, rich is evil, right? The people vilifying success, you're not supposed to be rich. That's a bad thing. Chris, what about the whole idea of it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven? Well, you gotta keep reading. You gotta put it in context, right? It's not what it means. It means if you put your hope in wealth and your hope in riches, it's harder for you to get to heaven. Well, Chris, what about the whole, like, money is the root of all evil? No, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's a big difference. People vilify success. And most of the times, it's just a blogger in his basement. <laughs> Typing on a $1,000 computer. Huh? Say what? Wearing $200 skinny jeans. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. Where this starts to break down is if, if you make, at all of our locations, if you make more than $34,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. If you make over $11,000 a year, you're in the top 14% of the world's wealth. So what does that mean, Seacoast? That means we're all evil, right? <laughs> the majority of the church is evil, the whole church. Like, really? So look to, look to your neighbor and say, you're evil. <laughs> I was just kidding, don't do that. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're like the meanest church ever. Oh, a little bit too much engagement there. Oh my goodness. 
All right, another incorrect view, prosperity. Prosperity with no purpose, with no eternal purpose. Prosperity, prosperity is a tricky word. Prosperity gets a bad rap. Prosperity is like a negative thing. It's used 92 times in scriptures, always positive. Prosperity's not wrong. The diligent will prosper. Proverbs 11, 25 says the generous will prosper. It's with no eternal purpose. But, but Chris, what about, he grants us the desires of our heart. Way out of context, right? Right, you gotta read the whole thing. If that was just true by itself, and you didn't take into consideration all the other 2,350 verses about money, wealth, and possessions, just take it on itself, it would mean that all of our locations, if we said, huh, I want a Mercedes G-Wagon when I leave this building today. And at all locations, tens of thousands of people are going to go out to the parking lot and we're all gonna have a Mercedes G-Wagon. Right, how cool would that be, right? It's just not the way it works. Now he does resource those, and we're gonna read this in a minute where it just flat out tells us, he resources those who resource the kingdom of God. He does, but it has an eternal purpose. It's not just we are going to get a uh, G-Wagon when we leave the parking lot, okay, or a bass boat or whatever your thing is, okay? The correct view, you ready? The correct view, when we view money, whether it's a nickel, a dime, a dollar bill, a hundred dollar bill, whatever it may be, it's through the filter of gratitude. That's the correct view. Whether we're giving, whether we're saving, whether we're spending, gratitude. God, I know that I was sitting there on that apartment floor. God, I know I was underneath that bridge, but God, but you stepped up. I'm not where I used to be. I was, I was destined for hell. You came and you died for my sins, but God, my response to that is worship. Worship through every day, managing every dollar. That's the why, that's the belief system. It's not just about saving. It's deeper than that. Thank you, God, for trusting me. We're worshiping him, whether you make $5 a year or you make a million dollars a year. It's what he's given you in this season to manage. So how do, how, what do we do with all that? You guys ask great questions at Seacoast. We're gonna enter into So Will I Seacoast story time. How do you like that for alliteration, okay? Kind of sit back, get away from your note-taking and your mindset, go back to story time. Like sit back in your seat, all locations. Because the way it was presented in scripture was a story. Jesus was telling a story and I wanna relay it accurately. Story time, story time here at Seacoast. I'm gonna tell you a story and I want you to put yourself into the story, okay? You might have heard it before, but don't let that stop you from putting yourself in the story and ask yourself, how am I doing? This is the application part of our time together. Jesus is telling the story in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and he says, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. It's exactly what he's done with us. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags of gold. Everyone say two bags. And to another one, one bag. Everyone say one bag each according to his ability. Don't miss that, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. It's exactly what Jesus has done with us. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more, boom. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, boom. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Didn't do anything with it. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Hey, master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, man, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Man, jump on the couch. Let's watch Clemson win again. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I, I, I've gained two, two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Remember I said he will resource those who are faithful. Come and share your master's happiness. Jump on the couch and watch the game together. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, here comes the excuses. I know that you're a hard man who had, uh, had received one bag of um, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So, 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 so I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, see, here's what belongs to you. I didn't do anything with it. His master replied, and here's where a lot of lead pastors uh, and teaching pastors stop because um, they have to see you the next week. I, I'm, I'm gone after this weekend, so I can, it gets pretty heavy right here. So here we go. This is the word of God. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You should have done something with it. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and Gamecock fans. <laughs> just, just kidding. Kinda. Gets heavy, doesn't it? It's Jesus, it's not me, it's, it, I'm just relaying a story by Jesus. It's a parallel of our life. We are managing for the owner, for the master. He's given us all a portion based on our ability. The call to action for us as a church, how are we doing? How are we doing on the giving side? How are we doing on the saving side? How are we doing on the spending side? There's nothing wrong with spending if it's in the right order. You give, save, then spend, right? And you spend money that you have, not money that you don't have. And you budget for it accordingly. How, how, how are you doing? I would suggest to you that if you don't have this, if you have this in the money bucket, and by now, this far into the message, you don't have it in the heart bucket, move it to another bucket. If you keep it in the math bucket, if you keep it in the money bucket, the CNN headline news bucket, the, the uh, Wall Street Journal bucket, you're never going to consistently worship God in your stewardship the way you should. It's gotta to get to the heart bucket. Every time you touch a dollar bill, it's a heart issue. You worship the loudest through the megaphone of stewardship. It's not just about budgeting. It's about managing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I, can't, I would not go around the country and talk about money. I wouldn't do it. I would not give my life to that. But I will give my life to, man, let, waking everyone up to the fact that, man, stewardship is worship. It's our highest calling in worship.
It's more than 18 minutes a week, which is great. It's amazing. I, for me, I'm a worship. I love to sing and praise God. I love teams that have that kind of talent. But even worship leaders themselves, it's not about the 18 minutes. It's about what they do during the week also. So my challenge to you is it's not how much you can give to the kingdom of God. That's important. That's scriptural. It's also about how much you can earn for the kingdom of God. How much you can not waste for the kingdom of God. So for me, I'm gonna make some declarations in my life and I have to repeat, it, repeat this and repeat this and repeat this because we are always being exposed to media, either written media or audible media that's all telling us to go here, do this, buy this, and then you'll be happy. So we have to overcompensate for that. We've gotta make sure that no, the word of God says my identity's in Christ, not in what I wear, not in places I go, things I do, where I vacation. My identity's in Christ. So I have to declare all the time, I will budget because it's worship for Christ. I, I will make sure that saving is a priority. I will avoid debt, because the Bible says, Proverbs 22, seven, the borrower is slave to the lender. It doesn't say the borrower is enslaved to the lender except for when interest rates are advantageous. Oh, snap, yes he did. The Bible says in Romans 13a, owe no man anything except for the debt to love one another. So I've gotta make those declarations in my life, and I would just suggest to you this weekend, all locations, it might be a good exercise for us to declare, so will I. I and in just a minute, I, I'm gonna declare, I'm gonna make a, a verbal, for accountability, I'm gonna give you a verbal declaration that I will do some things. And I think it might be good for us as a church to echo back for mutual accountability, so will I. You guys in for that? So for me, I'm telling you, I will, I will make budgeting a priority because I know, I know it's not just about dollars and cents, it is worship to the creator. I will. So will I. I will make saving a priority because I know the Bible says in Proverbs 21, 20, in the house of the wise is choice food and oil, which were medians of exchange back then. And then it goes on to say, but fools spend all they have. Saving, I will make saving a priority. I will manage God's resources, God's way for God's glory, not for my own glory, but for God's glory. Seacoast, what would happen, imagine with me, if tens of thousands of people under the name of Seacoast, under more importantly, under the name of Jesus, were to go out into our community and worship Christ through the everyday things that we do, the relationships that we have, the air that we breathe, the attention we give people, the smile in the elevator, even though we don't feel good and we're, we're in a bad perspective, no, we overcome it like, no, this moment, I need to steward this moment and a smile and a hug to a stranger, not a weird one, but a hug to a stranger, right? What would happen if tens of thousands of people would go out in the community to all of our locations, all of our different cities? What would happen? How awesome is that? The way that we worship the loudest is through the megaphone of stewardship. God, we come to you right now and we're asking for you to give us the direction. Thank you for shaping our belief system today. I pray, God, that we would, uh, you, you just give us the courage to do it. You give us the, the conviction and, and you'd compel us and you'd speak to our hearts in everyday life to take stewardship more seriously, to take it out of the money bucket and put it in the heart bucket. God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us today. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.